0: that is a very earthling question to ask mr pilgrim why you why us for that matter why anything because this moment simply is have you ever seen a bug trapped in amber well here we are mr pilgrim trapped in the amber of this moment there is no why we can only embrace the void
1: Pathetic earthlings hurling your bodies out into the void without the slightest inkling of who or what is out here
0: is life just some kind of horrific joke without a punchline that we're all just biding our time until the sweet sweet release of death Take him to the moon for me, okay? Welcome, friends, to another episode of Embrace the Void, where every week we feel more alien and more ancient. I am your host, Aaron Rabinowitz, and my guest this week is Frederick Trusoham, host of the Digging Up Ancient Aliens podcast, where he recently stepped outside of his comfort zone and did a series on Graham Hancock's Ancient Apocalypse series on Netflix. Since I recently also wrote a piece about the series uh, for the UK Skeptic Mag, we thought it'd be fun to have him on and discuss some of that content. So, Frederic, would you like to say hi to the Void?
1: Hi, or uh, Hello. <laughs>
0: Good. That's great. Perfect. We met at QED, speaking of the Merseyside folks, at the, originally at the Skeptic Camp thing on the day before, which everybody should go to if you ever go to QED. And you should go to QED. It's been announced for this year. And we both had fun presentations, let's say. We also got to chat about our shared interests in all things aliens and racism and all, all the fun stuff. So... Before we dive into all of that, do you want to tell folks a bit about like your background and like what particular sins landed you in the ancient alien circle of hell?
1: Yeah, so uh, I'm one of those who uh, saw maybe a little bit too much Indiana Jones and uh, played too much historical games, got into the whole history part and then uh, decided, oh, mm-hmm. archaeology is one of those future jobs that's really great to get into so i went to a little island in the baltic sea called gotland and studied archaeology for four years and a bit of osteology too and something you come to learn when you're studying archaeology is that when you're at a party or meeting new people The worst thing you can do is to say, I'm studying archaeologist, because then you will get the classical, ah, so have you heard about X and X? And it's usually something really way out there. And Uh when you're a student, your first reaction is, wait, what? I missed this part completely.
0: (laughs) Uh huh. Do you remember what the first one was that you got or like what were the early ones when you were first getting into it?
1: yeah i was uh back then i had medium-sized poodle actually and i was out on a walk with that one okay i got stopped by swedes don't really like to interact with other people if you don't have dogs or kids because then it's appropriate to speak to one another but uh, sure i, I understand <laughs> with the dog found another dog uh, walker who um we come to talk and yeah i wonder what i was doing I st- Oh, I so saw the archivist. And have you heard about these Bosnian pyramids? Mm, they are
0: about right
1: ten thousand old year older than the Egyptians one. And my first instinct was, wait, what? <laughs>
0: <laughs> but that was like early on. You weren't aware of like what rabbit hole that was going to lead to, kind of thing
1: no it was way before that and you had to kind of wing it and "Mm, yeah yeah of course it can be something and she brought up her phone then i realized that this was probably not true because if you're familiar with the bosnian pyramid it's basically a hill that's a bit Mm -hmm. pyramid side if you look at it in the right type Uh of (laughs) angle and she showed us oh you're one of those people yeah (laughs) I need to get going now. And yeah, you ended that (laughs) And
0: So it already sort of threw up a red flag for you there.
1: Yeah. You kind of realize it.
0: Yeah. How often do you feel like folks get involved in this stuff because they see something like that or like some random article about a, a, a giant hill somewhere that might actually be something more than a giant hill?
1: It depends on how you define coming to this. If you come Wonder if they come to archaeology. I think that is rare that you go from Bosnian pyramids to a genuine interest in real history. I think that's more rare. But it can be more a rabbit hole to find more pseudo archaeological claims. And if you're mm-hmm. lucky, you might end up on the other side after a quite long journey to you know embrace reality or what we should call it. Mm -hmm. But I don't think people go and either they have the reaction that, okay, this is boring and stupid. It's just people making things up or they get sucked into it, unfortunately.
0: So where do you fit into all of this? Did you at some point get sucked into it or did you get sucked into like trying to understand why other people are getting sucked into it?
1: I mean, as a kid I was uh, you know dabbling in uh, religion and even some uh, you know ghosts and haunted locations and all of that numerology for a short time period but then I started to realize that this was pretty much pretend and got more interested in some sort of reality and you know skepticism but how I got into ancient aliens was more of a during the COVID pandemic, with all the misinformation that was floating around. I was starting to think what I could do to promote, you know, accurate information. And mm-hmm. I don't think I am a person that should give medical advice. I have no background in it. I felt Fair. That, no. That's it's good to know your limits for me. Yeah, I, I know my limits and. I'll
0: never be a guru that way but at least yeah uh so you went with ancient aliens instead just because of what connection to like your archaeological interests kind of yeah, stuff i
1: could use my archaeology background to look into it and if you i have a idea that if you want to be against something you kind of need to understand what it is about Mm -hmm. So if I want to talk about Sudar Charlie, I really need to get into it and thought that uh, the TV series might have the best evidence for uh, the alien idea that they preach.
0: Yeah. And I want to talk about, you know, I want to do some shop talk about your process. Um, as someone who also, you know, spends time sort of diving down these various rabbit holes, um, you know, I, I want to talk about how you approach the Graham's Hancock stuff in particular, but sort of more broadly speaking, how did you approach the sort of larger project? Was it kind of like you just kind of stumbled into it? You started watching the show and talking about it and then sort of refined your process as you went. Did you go in with a specific kind of like structure in mind how much of the show did you watch before you started like commenting on it
1: Uh, i didn't really watch much before and that was part why i wanted to just focus on the ancient alien part because i heard about the show but i never really sat down and watched one of those episodes i had seen some you know fringe tv series before but uh, i felt that it could be something uh, to explore and react to and try to see does they have anything to offer, and how would um, a layperson almost uh, see this so if mm-hmm. I didn't know what was going to happen, if I didn't really know the ideas going in, I made understand maybe the allure to it I felt in the first season, but then I realized that they don't really have too many ideas and locations and theories to share, so they recycle a lot which makes a podcast uh, breaking down every episode a bit hard after a while
0: (laughs) yeah i was i wanted to ask you about that because i was on your show and i watched a specific episode that you wanted to talk about but i also watched a little bit around that and i also watched a few when i was doing the hancock research as well because he comes from that show too and i found this show like intolerably boring like it's 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 painfully <laughs> tedious which is weird because the whole point is it's supposed to at least be titillating right like if nothing else if it's not you know informational at least like you know the one benefit somebody might argue is that it gets people interested in history but it doesn't it's really painfully boring but like apparently all people get sucked into this stuff so like what am i what am i missing does it feel monotonous to you do you feel like you ever catch a glimmer of quality or is it just sort of a slog to get through so you can explain the kind of tropes and stuff
1: i think you uh, got one of the worst episodes unfortunately
0: (laughs) (laughs) i see how it is
1: you didn't get one of those really interesting stuff. So one of the ones I'm dealing with now is, uh, you know, space tra- traveling Vikings on the ley lines that crossing the globe kind of stuff.
0: Yeah, you just yeah. gave me some, like, you know, uh, founding fathers bullshit. And, like, who cares about that? I want Vikings.
1: <laughs> yeah. When, so, when, when
0: you get to the uh, have you gotten to any, like, interdimensional uh, psychedelic alien stuff yet? They
1: come and go from time to time.
0: because They they do indeed, depending on drug use, yes. Uh, uh
1: A lot of talking heads and different quality on them and uh, yeah, all of that. Some are more, oh, this Mm -hmm. is real aliens coming here and some are a bit more, the aliens are gods that visit us through the visions of our ancestors and all of that.
0: Yeah. And I, I partly ask that because I know Hancock is somewhere on that spectrum, depending on <laughs> when you ask him or something, but like, just to stick for a second on the show itself, because a lot of folks, you know, probably know the, the brand, you know, they know the memes with the hair and they know the basic mm. jokes and things. Um, but they probably don't, I mean, maybe they've watched one or two episodes or something like that. Um, do you have like favorite episodes, like if you wanted to show someone an episode so that they could like fully understand the weirdness of it or the some you know the somethingness of it that you would immediately point them to
1: It's uh, hard to say the one with uh, Eldorado is a classic because okay it deals with a lot of you know the myth, the legends. you have aliens, you have young girls. You have a bit of uh, colonialism and a little bit of racism. Another Mm -hmm. one, but that's a bit more if you don't really understand the concepts and understand uh, the antisemitism in a certain way, um, is the Mm -hmm. one, uh, uh, Ancient Aliens and the Third Reich, you know, where they quote literal neo-Nazis. Right, right. Get really dark, even, you know, the aliens was uh, kind of landing in uh, at, uh, on Earth dressed like the Nazis. So the Nazis, right? Yeah, basically... this, is, this is the stuff
0: that I love. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. And like part of the one of the reasons I really did get into esoterica and like occultism, besides being raised in high weirdness, um, as a lifestyle, I, you know, as you know, I'm not. I don't practice as a Jewish person. But I am half Jewish and grew up in a family that talked a lot about the Jewish side of things. And so, you know, I had a fascination with the Nazis. And as an ethicist as well, I think I had a fascination with them as like, wow, y'all went really fucking off the rails, what happened here kind of thing. (laughs) Um, But also, you know, their obsession with the occult was really fascinating to me. I, you know, was interested in like how it, keep, it comes up in so many different places in so many different people's work and writing. Um, and so, you know, I got really interested in like their, their obsession with Atlantis, for example, which does that come up in that particular episode as well? Uh, a little bit, about that but
1: thing? I was finding more interesting on that part was I was reading a lot of Nazi esotericism to understand that episode. And I spent, especially coming to godwin clark for example i'm not sure if you're familiar
0: mm-hmm. with him yeah do you want to say a little bit briefly
1: uh, so he was one who studied a lot of these um, ideas that um, the nazis was uh, mythicist and dealing with this uh, you know spear of destiny the ark of mm-hmm. the covenant and the esoteric stuff but in, especially Goldwyn Clark and a few other later researchers, it's realized that this was maybe not so much during the um, when the Nazis was in power. Oh, I then see. It was a bit more pressed under the table, but they have part, for example, the Volkish movement was more deeply into um, the esoteric stuff based on, I think it's Rudolf Steiner's work to some part
0: uh-huh
1: but, yeah um, yeah hitler was apparently very against especially the Volkist movement even if they helped getting him elected he didn't have much sympathy for them it turns out
0: oh interesting yeah it's like there's, sort of, there's to, some debates around that yeah
1: yeah that i'm quoting godwin clark there is not <laughs> my own sure
0: <laughs> well um let me ask you that I think this is a perfect time obviously i, I i'm Part of the reason that I get really interested in this stuff is because of the intersections between it and race and conspiracism, especially anti-Semitic conspiracism. Um, For folks who are, you know, very on the like normie side of things, maybe have not even heard ever that like there's a, a connection between ancient aliens and racism, but they've only heard it referenced in such a way where it seemed like a silly, you know, woke thing or something like that do you want to explain a little bit about like the history of the connection there?
1: Uh, We had time, right? (laughs) 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 Yeah.
0: Take your time. (laughs) I know there's a lot.
1: Yeah. So the question there is where to start. Basically there's a few routes that it takes. I would say uh, Ignatius O'Donnelly, is Mm -hmm. a big influence especially for Graham Hancock to say the least but even the ancient alien stuff but then you also have the Blavatsky-Steiner connection too Mm -hmm. and then it's somewhat funneled through uh, the deeply racial and uh, colonial science of anthropology and Mm -hmm. uh, All of that in the early 1900s and then through the Vienna group uh, in the 1950s based on uh, Nazis who really got into the esotericism and then even started to connect the UFO with the Nazi movement. And from there, it kind of grew to um, the French uh, Morning of the Magicians. I forgot the author's name, something French. Mm -hmm. And then you have Van Daniken who read that book and said, I will copy this, but um, add Mm -hmm. a few of my own stuff so the teacher won't notice. And there you have it. So it's all based on this early 1800, 1900 uh, era of science, and especially in archaeology and anthropology. That era is, to say the least, quite. Grim, how they looked and viewed on race <laughs> and all of that is, of course, right. Well, yeah, <laughs> and so itself,
0: one way I've heard it described, I'm curious to see if, like, you feel like this tracks with your experience that, like, during that colonial period, you have. You know, um exploration out into the world where you find a bunch of different groups of people who aren't white Christians, and you have to <laughs> kind of make sense of their existence in the biblical world um, hmm. and you also have you know increased science and and study of the the universe that's leading to sort of the unavoidable question. I mean you have you know when we were on when I was on your show, we talked some about like the history of possible worlds and other worlds. And how it relates to all of these kinds of issues and how that philosophy, those philosophy questions go way, way back. Um, but you see a kind of reemergence of them as um, actual astronomy is getting off the mm. ground in this kind of way. Um, and so what you end up having are these ancient alien narratives become like a tool to explain where everybody came from in a way that, you know, reinforces the colonial narratives and, and norms like, do you feel like that's accurate? And are there some, like, examples of, you know, tropes or or features of this material that you could point to to say, you know, here's how that kind of racial bias is carrying forward even today?
1: Uh, sure. So, for example, if we're trying to look at this, explaining how, for example, especially South and Mesoamerica got culture, the mm-hmm. Spanish colon- real colonialists uh, came in the 1500s and they start to, uh, especially one chronicle Geronimo de Mendieta living 1500 middle somewhere there, who talked about these white gods especially Kukul Khan uh, Mayan uh, and yeah, Maya god Mm -hmm. who uh, is described, according to him, very white, blue eyes, white beard. And he was the one who came from Europe to Mesoamerica and bringing culture. Mm -hmm. And that's how they explain why these uh, primitive people, as they prefer to call them, had, you know, these impressive buildings and monuments and stone cults. The stonework, and we see that idea within the ancient aliens. But instead of white ancient people sailing across the sea, the um, aliens comes down to the Egyptians and bring their culture, their stonework, their language. It's always these ideas of a high culture that we associate with monument building and language and uh, mm-hmm, scripture. Mm-hmm. And they give it to the primitive people that's usually described as violent and uh, not as mm-hmm. intelligent, so to say.
0: Yeah, do you want to explain how Atlantis plays into all of that as well then?
1: Um, and then you have Atlantis that's part of this idea, especially from Ignatius Donnelly to explain how culture spread across the world. So in Donnelly's time they had this idea about diffusion so an idea originates in one place and spread to another what mm-hmm. O'Donnelly argued was that there was a location with um, predominantly white people he also talks about different races being there but there's a hierarchical order white right. is on top and rule and then you have the other beneath And then Atlantis go under, but a few survivors from this culture rescue themselves and then dedicate their life to go about and teach all other culture, you know, uh, stone building Mm -hmm. language and all of that. And at that point, we shift from diffusion to a sort of hyper diffusion, we call it in archaeology. So all ideas originate from one single locations, and I from see. there, it just spread everywhere.
0: And I think there's a a parallel here. I, th- you know, I, you could argue that this is a kind of Darwinian account of culture. That this is an early sort of, you know, um, mm. uh, Dawkins kind of memetics idea <laughs> in the sense where, and like specifically in relation to the eugenics and dysgenics stuff, because as you mentioned, like the view is there had to have been a high culture and then in the process of diffusion, you get a bunch of like dysgenics, low culture versions of that original high culture. So you're getting the kind of reflections of it, which of course plays into, um, you know, Volkish kind of narratives about mm. an ancient better past that we, you we, we know, is taken away from us. Mm. Um, and, you know, there are lots of different explanations for how that taken away occurs, mm. if it was interbreeding or things like that. Does Ignatius in particular say what destroyed Atlantis? Was it the Jews? Was it, you know, a mystery or hubris or, yeah?
1: No, he attributes that to a comet strike where Graham Hancock stole his idea from. Ah, uh, right, okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, I was going to so, say. Sounds familiar. Yeah, he copied a lot from Ignatius Donnelly, not always attributing his idea, but uh, if you read the Underdiluvian world, uh, you start mm-hmm. to realize that a lot is just like Van Denneken, copy paste, uh, not really mm. original idea in that sense.
0: That's interesting because like some people, when they talk about like the fall of Atlantis and they, you know, it's not just Atlantis, right? There are like five or six different Shangri-La kinds of places (laughs) that, you know, get tossed around as the, as the source of, as you say, of sort of that hyper diffusion, um, in some of the stories, the destruction is purposeful, right? It's punishment Mm. or it's the bad guys overthrowing the good guys or something like that, or the good guys falling into decadence. And so we have to not fall into decadence again, (laughs) or, you know, the morals get built into the narrative in that kind of way. Um, But so you, you think like originally the story is more of a just like catastrophe as a neutral explanation kind of thing. Do you have a sense of when the morals get built in? Yeah.
1: But the the morals originates with Plato's version. He Mm, is the one mm -hmm. adding the moral. Then Ignatius come, take parts of it as his own, you know, more scientific idea of it. But of course, he wrote that 1880 there somewhere. So, of course, it's written in that type of eras science.
0: Mm hmm. And so
1: only also stole some of those ideas from another author that was popular in the early 1880s, uh, whose name I forgot to history since it is not as mm-hmm. famous. But um,
0: yeah. And, I, you know, this is really stuff that I'm obsessed with, partly because I, I'm fascinated by colonial knowledge production, this process by which. You know colonial societies justified oppression, exploitation, et cetera, the racial hierarchies and mm. stuff like that, and a lot of this pseudoscience played a role in it. Do you have a sense of like how conscious folks like Ignatius were of that kind of world building as a colonial project, or do you feel like they thought they were just doing you know good, pure science and you know, just so happened that they were also reifying their own worldview into a natural view?
1: It depends. As for Ignatius, I've read a couple of his books and for his time he seems quite progressive. He wrote a whole book on the plight of uh, hmm. um, free freed slave in, you know, the southern states of the US. Hmm. Of course, it's from a perspective that they doesn't have the same intelligence as white people and maybe need to be governed. But again, he described what they're suffering during, you know, in the emancipation process and uh, their lack of access to medical and all of that. So he has a duality in himself, but he still has this idea that, of course, white is better, but he isn't really... Mm -hmm. He doesn't focus too much on that part in his writing, but that doesn't stop this idea to ripple. One example is, for example, are you familiar with um, Thor Heyerdahl?
0: Uh, I know the name, but not. He was a
1: Norwegian uh, explorer and I don't like that Mm -hmm. word, but amateur archaeologist. (laughs) And uh-huh. uh, he sailed uh, a little raft, Contiki, from Peru to, um, to um, Easter Island. Mm-hmm. And, or Rapa Nui, as it's originally called. But um, he had this idea of white people or like Caucasian-like people in South America, bringing them the culture. And he associated that with another Spanish myth, Viracocha. Again, white people, beard red hair, blonde hair, but Heyerdahl isn't really, uh, he didn't really put too much emphasis on race and doesn't really appear to be a racist in that sense. But his idea about his white people in South America led to, for example, the Peruvian government to deny indigenous people their land back because they used Mm -hmm. his pseudoscience to you know uh, deny and again add this colonial idea that white people were here maybe even before these indigenous people therefore we have the right to this land and i think there right this type of pseudoscience is actual there there is the danger that people who want to use these ideas even if the person who created them is from a different era, different time and using that type of anthropological language. These type of ideas has real world consequences. Even later, even today, people go to these books to, you know, um, Mm -hmm. defend their position and uh, trying to remove rights. Uh, We see that in Brazil, in Colombia, and other locations that they're leaning on these type of ideas.
0: Yeah, and I I think it is worth, I always try to note historically, because we think today of eugenics as being a conservative position, but you know, historically, it was a progressive position because it was a pro-science position. And at the time, yeah. you know, your, your conservative <laughs> positions were religious, right? They were not interested in that eugenics kind of evolutionary theory. So the people who were into evolutionary theories were going to be more socially progressive. And often they thought they were doing you know, not God's work by, like, promoting good eugenics science rather than, like, the previous, you know, what they would have considered woo of that time or something, right? Um, You see yeah. that sort of carry forward for a while, and, like, a lot of the, like, colonialism stuff is, you know, the the white man's burden kind of mentality in that way. Are there any other ways in which you see it sort of come forward in in the content? Do you feel like like, what are the demographics of the people involved in this kind of stuff? Are they, you know, is, are there any people of color involved in any of the ancient alien stuff, for example?
1: As the writers, they have a few indigenous people from America, from mm-hmm. the, a few people from different tribes believe in aliens. And I guess that's fair. But other than that, it's very rare that they bring other than white American authors. Maybe a German or two, and of course Swiss uh, Van Daniken. But uh, otherwise, it's a very <laughs> pale. <laughs> Germans very are white. You know that, uh,
0: right? They let's are? Just be clear on this. Oh yes. <laughs> please, please, let's at least agree that Germans are white, because otherwise, you know, a lot of my culture's history is very confusing. <laughs> Um, yeah, so, and, and, you know, that's an interesting one to me because I've also, I did an article for the Skeptic Mag about the Hoteps who Mm -hmm. are a kind of ancient alien subculture. They are very kind of black power, black supremacists in a lot of ways. And they very, they do, I would argue, do very similar things to what these folks are doing. They just do it for black people instead. A lot of like mythicism around egypt and aliens and genetic engineering of races and stuff like that which we haven't even talked about yet That like it's not just you know <laughs> dysgenics from atlantis right it's also aliens showed up and did some weird gene engineering on one race to create another race um yeah. do you are there any like hotep episodes of ancient aliens do you ever see those folks showing up you know hotep not jesus and whatnot
1: Found. <laughs> Not I've found so far, and they tend to keep to themselves. Uh, you asked me previously, a bit before this episode, and for fun, I just went out to all the forums and places where I lurk from time to time, and I found maybe three hmm. times people I brought up. Two of them, the original posters, were asked to leave and stop posting this pseudoscience.
0: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's awesome
1: so you know they either have humor or doesn't really grasp their own
0: <laughs> I see but you haven't found like um, black ancient aliens yet or something like that you haven't found the like there um, is I know BET's about this version even,
1: uh, there's even a religion that I now forgot the name of uh yeah. But there's a religious movement incorporating these ancient alien ideas.
0: I mean there's a couple but, of them, right? There's like the Raleigh uh, and there's Yeah, but this uh, is
1: all black ancient alien religion. Oh I see.
0: Specifically specifically black ancient aliens. Yeah. And it's not the Hoteps. And it is the black Israelites?
1: Nuvabian nation.
0: Oh. I haven't heard of that. That sounds interesting. <laughs> Uh, cool yeah I'd be curious to you know find out some more there but I assume on the show I mean how many episodes of Ancient Aliens have you watched at this point how far in are you
1: oh I finished the first season that was quite some work Mm-mm. they didn't really prepare to have any other seasons so each episode is one and a half hours long and it's just very rapid they fire Everything yeah. at you at once, and it just go quickly. And you see, in the first season, they had this idea at first to have, um, you know, skeptics versus uh, proponents. Mm. Then it some uh, some change somewhere along the line, so they managed to keep get quite impressive academics to, uh, you know, take part in the first season. And mm-hmm. then they got edited out of context and uh, was part of this uh, alien proponent <laughs> idea. But um, so you don't really see them afterwards. And then they got renewed, which they didn't really prepare for. So they just started to throw things willy nilly together. Um, but um, on season three now. Mm-hmm. So it is a couple. It is a couple. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you, they're starting to like pull it together do you feel like? Are they do they have a sense of what they're cuz they are they they have gone for what like 12 seasons now or something? What? they're on more than that, right? Well, 19 19 20 a million it's been around forever. <laughs> um yeah, good luck with getting through all of those. I, I like I have to I, I struggle to imagine how they filled 20 seasons given as you pointed out, there are about five different stories that they kind of recycle. I mean,
1: they're already repeating themselves and which makes things a bit interesting because they don't really stick to one narrative they mm-hmm. you know fight against each other and especially Giorgio sokolos the guy with the fancy hair uh-huh. he he can show up from season to season talk about the same subject but say completely different things
0: um yeah. That doesn't surprise me. I mean, it, it does It does feel kind of free association like word games a lot of the time. <laughs> um, so speaking of the experts, the one we want to talk about in particular who shows up in that first season um, is Graham Hancock. Do you uh, so you, uh, you know, having done this stuff would have been familiar with him before most of us who probably found out about him when he showed up on Netflix for some reason. <laughs> um, what was your experience of Hancock? Were you like. Was he on your radar, even though he was on the show before that series? Or was it like when that series came out, you were like went back and looked into him more?
1: I become a bit um, entangled with him during the series. He shows up quite a lot and he seemed to have almost gotten into the ancient alien Root, but then he kind of had a Joe Rogan effect and started to shift away. So he wrote, for example, with um, Robert Bouval mm-hmm. uh, or French Lex Luthor, as I call him. Um, <laughs> That's
0: <laughs> the one uh, that he wrote the, the really, really anti Semitic book with, right?
1: Yeah. And the Swings hypothesis, where, uh, you know, they date the Swings mm-hmm. to 10,000 BC, but Bouval is more into the whole alien ideas and it's quite a staple fixture of ancient alien but he and hancock worked together but then hancock got a bit of the um, Joe rogan fame and seems to have you know switched away from that crowd and went his own alternative history way so to say
0: yeah and the vibe i got was he's trying to like appeal to a more mainstream audience by hiding his power level pretty highly. What is your sense of Hancock in terms of like how he portrays himself versus what he actually believes?
1: I think that he is quite close to a true believer. I think he has drunk his Kool-Aid enough to actually believe because he has been fighting for so long for for example bimini road are you familiar with that
0: oh um well that name does come up because we i think we have talking about this before the show uh, remind me though
1: <laughs> yeah it's um it's a rock formation in the bahamas on bimini mm-hmm. Island, which uh hancock argues is part of atlantis or some road on atlantis and is this type of rock that um, can uh, can appear on beaches it's sand and different types of sediments that uh, fuse together in some geological processes uh, but um, it's you can find it on different beaches across the world but here they look quite in a nice row mm-hmm. and uh, hanker claims that this nice row is uh, of course, man-made. Except if nature is good at something, it's making things look quite strange and awesome. Uh, the Devil's Causeway, for example, very right. nice. Right, and you talked about these in your series. That's that.
0: where I remember this from. Yes.
1: Yeah. <laughs> but uh, right. this is a clear geological feature. Geologists has tested it. You have, we have in dated the rock itself since it's sediment we can date the thing uh, organic material that's stuck within the rock and mm-hmm. all of it uh, in the case that this is um this is a geological feature not man-made but it's still argues that it is for 30 plus years he has been arguing that this is a man-made structure and haven't produced a single shred of evidence, then it kind of looks square. Doesn't it look really square? Can nature (laughs) really do square?
0: I mean, it's interesting that you mentioned that he's a true believer. I think if you watched the show and you didn't know anything about him, A, he comes off as very like a straight-laced British like, wouldn't, you know, like, you wouldn't know, for example, that he's been quoted as saying he's been stoned for, like, most of his <laughs> life or something, or he does a bunch of psychedelics or, you know, believes in psychedelic machine elves or any of that kind of stuff. Um, He comes off as, like, very... And he also portrays himself as, like, I'm just a journalist asking questions, why won't anybody talk to me kind of um shtick. Hmm. You know, what is Hancock's deal? Like, how would you explain to somebody like how is this person you, you know you mentioned that he was like pulling away from the ancient aliens stuff a little bit um what is he doing and like how would you, you know, like what do you think is his goal here besides sort of just being out here talking about weird stuff
1: i think his main goal is to sell books even if he believe in it he understand that probably understand that it might not be correct all of those things because you can't go 30 years without having some doubt now and again i think and that's mm-hmm. why he also trying to sell his idea so hard because he wants to be an outsider he wants to be against the establishment and all that so he wants to push all the buttons and get archaeologists to go. Oh no, we should ban him. That's you know like catnip to him.
0: Because uh huh, has that he expressed? Sales. Have yeah. you ever heard him express any of the more like racisty ancient alien stuff? Did you come across any of that when you were researching him? I mean,
1: again, if we go back to. Thor Heyerdahl, who is building on similar sources as Hancock. He used material that itself come from a deeply racist origin. You know, it's the measuring of craniums. It's the high culture, low culture. It's a deep-rooted colonial language within. And he used that. He applied zero critical thinking on it. And trying to put it in a new context or even admitting that, yeah, these ideas are problematic. And try to, you know, relabel it or how we should put it, decolonize the material in a sense. He just taken mm-hmm. it and then he wonders why people think he's a racist person. Again, it's do, you not... think,
0: do you think it'd be possible to do a not racist version of this stuff at this point where like you know, can you decolonialize Atlantean narratives or are they just so, so deeply entrenched within this, you know, like particular cultural milieu?
1: Especially since uh, this type of hyperdiffusion within archaeology has been disproven since uh, 1978, at least, um, with the publication of... um, uh, the origins of species i think the book is related but from there we started to shift towards a more post-processualism within archaeology and uh, come to think about an idea where technology ideas and invention can uh, develop in different places at different times and we usually see this in the archaeological material yes we have diffusion Artifacts travel from one location to another, but we also see that inventions are popping up in different times and they usually have different uh, method. For example, agriculture in mm-hmm. the Levant, um, in various uh, origins for at least Europe and uh, parts of uh, Northern Africa, we see grain and nothing not much more than that they are wheat based heavily you have wheat rye and all that but in um, south america uh, and a bit the south you know the texas area we have agriculture but they use a completely different technology and they use different crops they usually combine maize uh, or corn uh, beans and um, squash because mm-hmm. if you mm-hmm. put these three right. together, you have a very good. Um,
0: yeah, the three sisters, uh, I think, right or whatever
1: it's yeah, called. Exactly that.
0: Um. So. So in terms of harms, right? You have this kind of like this is just scientific misinformation, right? You have this connections to kind of race and stuff like that. Um. You know what would you say to somebody who's like, well you know, if you watch the Hancock show, he doesn't, you know, he says there's a little bit of like conspiracy stuff in there, but really he's not going super far deep into any of these kind of weird places. Is it okay for this to just be a kind of fun? You know, some, similar to what I hear people say about ancient aliens all the time, like this lighthearted fun. Like, why is it such a big deal just because it has that history or something like that? Do you feel like, it's okay to be doing kind of entertaining content for Netflix to be producing entertaining content like this. That is also potentially harmful misinformation.
1: I mean, I'm not going to play into his trope and say that we should ban it. uh, But um, Uh. (laughs) uh, at the same time, why would we waste resources and maybe even get people misinformed from the start? I think that's, you know, robbing some people to actually learn about their culture or other people's culture and understand their role as a human in history. If we remove, you know, what's true and what's not from them and present them a false narrative, but it also leads to real world consequences that, you know, natives don't, don't get their lands back. People Mm -hmm. still rely on this type of works to justify, you know, uh, their racial belief, even if the material itself is lacking it because it have this white people. Mm -hmm. And then you have, for example, in Gunung Padang in Indonesia, that was a state-sponsored excavation, actually. Grant Hancock never mentioned this in his show, but they destroyed quite a lot of the site with their excavation methods because they were excavating to prove uh, that this was Mm -hmm. a real world pyramid that was older than 10,000 years, no matter the cost. So they excavated with poor documentation, poor uh, methodology, and just went loose 500 soldiers with access basically on the site. So part Mm -hmm. of it, and we don't even know what part it really they excavated, which means that if someone would like to go back and do a real study, it won't be possible because they destroyed parts of it.
0: Yeah. So so lots of like real world implications Um, for individuals, right? We can you know Graham has whatever reasons he's doing these things (laughs) for. it's always been, you know, it's also an interesting question of like what gets people sort of rank and file individuals into this kind of stuff. Um, Obviously one reason might just be, they believe it. Um, But other things that often come up with me, especially when you talk about the conspiracism elements or things like, you know, a sense of meaning or purpose because you're tracking down the truth, having insider knowledge, things like that. In your experience in these communities lurking about and whatnot, do you get a sense of like, particular motivations that are important for the ancient aliens kind of conspiracism
1: as with a lot of other conspiracies communion it's a place to belong to and you know it's it is exciting come on it's fun to read about aliens coming down and Mm -hmm. you know there's something bigger out there that might control me and Maybe there's some purpose. Maybe I can go to outer space soon with the alien overlords. And, you know, maybe I'm part of this alien race that gives me psychic powers. I mean, it's fun and gives some people a sense of belonging. And that's not wrong itself, it's religion, but with less official buildings i guess kind of
0: <laughs> or maybe sometimes even the exact same amount of official buildings depending on which religion we're talking about and which of aliens course, they believe course. in right they have some of them have a lot of buildings it turns out um so uh that also like brings up another sort of interesting tie in here for me which is like Present day UFO encounter communities versus ancient alien communities. I was just right before this, had a previous person on who. Talks with people about sort of UFO encounter experiences and the kind of spiritual emergence stuff, which again Hancock is all about. Um, (laughs) But they're they're coming from from a more like trying to understand where people are coming from kind of perspective, even if they don't necessarily believe or agree with every part of it. Um, What do you see in terms of like potential overlap? First of all, between like your ancient aliens folks and your current aliens folks are they the same groups are they the same demographics? are they coming at it for the same reasons and interests what do you do you see any overlap at all there?
1: From what I've seen, I haven't gone too deep into it and talked with the people except for the ones who actively seek and engage with me uh, I try to keep myself out of engagement it happens that i comment in threads when i see something but then i just go out of the thread and comment on the side and if somebody sees it somebody sees it, and they can choose to engage or not with me but um i don't see it often but i think there's some overlap between the you know aliens are here currently and the ancient alien Mm-hmm. the ufo crowd so to say
0: mm-hmm. do you find that more often people believe the like aliens from another galaxy versus the you know like psychedelic aliens from another dimension approach is it shifting at all
1: if i would base on what i see on the television and everything on television is true of course uh, sure. i would say it's uh 30 interdimension and 70 r- actual real aliens. Mm-hmm. And it depends on what author you go with. Mm-hmm. It's like and Van Danik and those type of people are more real aliens coming here on rocket ships because, you know, you have fuel station across the galaxy, I assume. And uh, then you have David Childress, that's a bit sneaky, a shift between real aliens and these intergalactic portal beings that uh, you know blinks in and out our reality and have portals mm-hmm. and all of that
0: i feel like my impression has been even though you have like Lovecraft in the early 1900s talking about weird interdimensional aliens. The kind of like materialism that dominates for the most part is a like aliens from other planets kind of thing until you hit like the 60s and high weirdness and hmm. the psychedelics come along. And then it seems like that 30%, you know, that I would have put that 30% at like 5%, <laughs> you know, like 20 years ago even, but like. I would hmm. suspect that because I think primarily because of Joe fucking Rogan like the psychedelic you know one has picked up quite a lot of market share um and is and is popular amongst folks who are like oh I'm smart enough to know that like interdimensional travel is really hard so that version is bullshit <laughs> but like obviously you know inner inner, inner um Uh, Sorry, interstellar versus interdimensional. Like, interdimensional travel is obviously easily done just by consuming large amounts of mushrooms or ayahuasca. So, like, you know, that's just science. Um, So, yeah, I... What would you... We're getting a little short on time. Um, Do you have any sort of recommendations for if you're someone out walking their poodle and someone is like, hey, have you heard about these ancient aliens? That, like, how you would encourage them to approach that in a way that could be constructive or like resources you point the person to that you feel like wouldn't be too non-threatening or is it more just like there's not a lot of point to that and just sort of, um, you know, unless it's someone you really care about, kind of save your energy kind of thing.
1: It's, it depends on what your goal is. I don't think you will be able to turn someone that you meet on your dog walk. You might be able to question them, but I think a more relaxed approach is best. Don't really go hard in and yell at them that they are stupid and part of the sheeple, but listen and then ask a really hard question or rephrase it if you say that This type of stone masonry isn't possible without modern tools. How do you explain the stone masonry we see during the Renaissance or uh, the Gothic churches in England? And then they start to think, okay, they could do masonry. That's really freaking awesome. During the Renaissance, why wouldn't they have been able to do it earlier with the same tools, Mm. flip it? ask mm-hmm. questions to make them think and hopefully they will bite and maybe start to question mm-hmm. the rest of it
0: Uh huh. and the flip side of that one this will be the last question then I'll, then I'll torture you some, if you could have your way and one of the weird things you've, you know, theories you've heard turned out to actually really be true is there one in particular where you'd like I would prefer that one to be the case please
1: that the pyramids are wireless charger <laughs>
0: I knew know where you were going to go with that, but I was happy with where it went. That was very <laughs> Mad Libs, but good good choice. Uh, wireless charger. So like if I put my cell phone on the pyramids, it'll, it'll charge?
1: Yeah, or your spaceship or, you know, we'll make, oh, I see. Uh, you know, the battery airplanes a lot um, quicker to charge. They don't even have to land. They can just...
0: <laughs> so it's like an alien Tesla station, basically?
1: Yeah, basically. That's their theory for why the pyramids exist. All over and the globe. It's, you know, wireless. Do, do they have
0: to come and, like, land at the top of the pyramid, like a dirigible, and, like, no, uh, jump in space and they just of... shoot the laser? Yeah. Okay. Right. Space laser. <laughs> it's always a space laser, right? If Marvel teaches <laughs> well, us anything. Space lasers are the best. It's the best, right? It's the best there is. Okay. Well, this has been fun, Frederick. Unfortunately, this means I now have to torture you. Um, so, this is the enlightening round. Enlightenment comes from within. And we are back to real or not real. So for folks who are not familiar, I am going to give you a list of things, just ten things, and I need you to tell me are these things real or not real? Those are your only options. You cannot hedge, right? Just real or not real. Ready? I can't. Call a can't. friend.
1: 50-50. Nope. Nope. There are
0: no support lines here. <laughs> uh it is just you in the void all right are you ready
1: as ready i can be
0: okay so i have to go back i always have to check first of all do you think that anything is real
1: something has to be real
0: okay great so let's find out what's real um first thing bodies real or not real bodies is real okay minds real or not real Real. (laughs) Free will.
1: Uh, Not real. Luck. Uh, Real, I would say. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Demons. Not real. (laughs)
0: Afterlives.
1: Not real. Uh,
0: Truth. Truth.
1: I've heard politics speak so not real <laughs> beauty not real
0: justice not real okay and finally hope
1: now I'm going to be a real damper no that's real <laughs> <laughs> all
0: right you survived how do you feel
1: yeah, I think I will uh, recuperate myself at one point or another.
0: <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. I'm sure you can get some um, chemicals from the ancient aliens to help you feel better. Uh, do you <laughs> want to let folks nice. know? Yeah. You want to let folks know where they can find your content before we head on over to the VIP stuff.
1: Yeah, you should uh, go to diggingupancientaliens.com, which where you find all the social media and stuff like that. If you don't want to spell all of that, you can just go to uh, ancientapocalypse.net, that uh, domain I bought, and you find my stuff there too.
0: Okay, great. Folks should definitely check it out. Check out the Hancock series you had some good experts on talking about various stuff there that i thought was great um thank you so much for coming on and thank you folks for listening and if you'd like to hear some more weirdness about aliens and jews um head on over to patreon slash um embrace the void and you know join us and come hang out some more Um, but otherwise thanks very much and we'll catch y'all next time as a human i was ill-equipped to thank you but as myself, you have my everlasting gratitude. Thanks again to our listeners and patrons who make this show possible. Thanks to our new monthly Voidlings, James H. Hart and Cheesy. And I'd like to thank our top tier patrons, our Archon level patrons. Give to modestneeds.org, then visit deepfakestop.com. Alex Beneshek, Serious Inquiries Only, Lawrence Shielding, Dude, Fix the Vote. Big Easy, or uh, A wise in one said, you can't be neutral on a moving train, and Jesse Rubinowitz and Brenda Goodman, and all the thanks to our Archduke-level patron, Big Easy Blasphemy. If you would like to support the show, please check out my other show, Philosophers in Space, and while you're at it, uh, check out my co-host, Callie Wright's Queersplaining podcast. Um, you can also check out our wonderful editor, Louisa Lyons' Film Live Musicals podcast, and leave them all a five-star rating and a review on your podcast app. You can follow me on Twitter at etvpod or email me at voidpod at gmail.com. And if you notice a small void growing within you, consider supporting us financially at patreon.com slash embrace the void. Just $4 a month gets you early access episodes and bonus VIP content. Most of all, no matter how alien it seems, you are the void and the void is you.